Part One of Chapter Two: The Pride of Yenico. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. The Pride of Yenico, by Edgerton and Agnes Castle. Part One, Chapter Two. Basil Yenico's Memoir Continued. My great uncle's will forcible concise indisputable as it was had been so the man of law informed me drawn out in a great hurry dictated indeed between spasms of agony and rage the poor old man died of gout in his stomach doubtless had he felt sure of more time he would have burdened the inheritance with many directions and conditions from his broken utterances however and from what i had known of him in life i gathered a fair idea of what his wishes were his fifty years of foreign service had filled him old pandour that he seemed to have become with but increased contempt for the people that surrounded him their ways and customs while his pride as an englishman was only equalled by his pride as a yenico sell and settle the meaning of the words was clear in the light of the man as i knew him i was to sell the great property carry to england the vast hoard of foreign wealth marry as befitted one of the race and raise a new and splendid line of yenicos to the utter mortification and everlasting confusion of the degenerate head of the house now though i knew it to be in me and felt it indeed not otherwise possible to live my life as true a yenico as even my uncle could desire i by no means deemed it incumbent upon me to set to work and carry out his plans without first employing my liberty and wealth as the humour prompted me nor was the old country an overpoweringly attractive place for a young man of my creed and kidney in vienna i was perhaps for the moment the most noted figure the guest most sought after that year in england at daggers drawn with my brother i could only play an everyday part in an unpopular social minority it was in full summer weather that as i have written already tried by the first stage of my career of wealth i came to take possession of my landed estates the beauty and wildness of the scenery the strangeness of the life in the well-nigh princely position to which this sudden turn of fortune's wheel had elevated me the intoxicating sensation of holding sway as feudal lord of these wide tracts of hill and plain over so many hundreds of lives above all the wholesome reaction brought about by solitude and communion with nature after the turmoil of the last months in short everything around me and in me made me less inclined than ever to begin ridding myself of so fair a possession and do i wish i had not thus delayed in obeying the injunction that accompanied the bequest odds my life i am a miserable dog this day through my disobedience and yet would i now undo the past if i could a thousand times no i hate my folly but hug it ever closer ever dearer the bitter savour of that incomprehensible yearning clings to the place i would not exchange it for the tameness of peace weakling that i am i would not obliterate if i could the memory of those brief brief days of which i failed to know the price until the perversity of fate cut their thread for ever ay perhaps for ever after all and yet if so it were wiser to quit these haunted walls for ever also but god how meagre and livid looks wisdom the ghost by the side of love's warm and living line and now on since i have put my hand to the task undertaken to set forth and make clear the actual condition of that vacillating puppet 
the new fledged lord of Tolandal, I will not draw it back, cost me what pain it may. No doubt it was this haunting pride of wealth, waxing every day stronger, even as the pride of birth which my great-uncle had fostered to such good purpose, the overweening conceit which they bred within me, that fogged my better judgment and brought me to this pass. And no doubt likewise, it is a princely estate that these lords of Tolendal of old carved for themselves, and rounded ever wider and nurtured all that it should some day, passing through the distaff, come to swell the pride of Suffolk Yenicos. My castle rises boldly on the northernmost spur of the Glatzer Mounts, and defiantly overlooks the marches of three kingdoms. Its lands and dependencies, though chiefly Moravian, extend over the Bohemian border, as well into the Silesia they are now able to call Prussian. North and west it is flanked by woods that grow wilder, denser, as they spread inwards toward the giant mountains. On the southern slopes are my vineyards, growths of note, as I hear. My territories reach on the one hand farther than can be seen under the blue horizon, into the eastern plains, flat and rich, that stretch with curious suddenness immediately at the foot of the high district. Upon the other hand, on the Moravian side, I doubt whether even my head steward himself knows exactly how much of the timber-laden hill-ranges can be claimed as appertaining to the estate. All the peaks I can descry in a fine day from these casements are mine, I believe. On their flanks are forests as rich in game, boar and buck, wolf and bear, not to speak of lesser quarry, as are the plains below in corn and maize and cattle. Que A goodly heritage indeed. I, I promised myself many a rare day's sport so soon as the time waxed ripe. Meanwhile my days were spent in rambles over the land, under pretense of making acquaintance with the farms and the villages and the population living on the soil and working out its wealth for my use but in reality for the enjoyment of delicious sylvan and rustic idleness, through which the memory of recent Viennese dissipations was like that of a fevered dream. The spirit of my country-keeping ancestors lived again within me and was satisfied. Yet there were times, too, when this freedom of fancy became loneliness, when my eyes tired of green trees, and my ears hungered for the voice of some human being whom I could meet as an equal, with whom I could consort soul and wit. Then I would resolve that, come the autumn, I would fill the frowning stronghouse with a rousing throng of gallant hunters and fair women such as it had never seen before. Ay, and they should come over, even from old England, to taste of the Yenico hospitality. It was in one of these glorious moods that, upon a September day, sultry as summer, although there was a touch of autumn decay in the air as well as in the tints around me, I sallied forth, afternoon, to tramp on foot and as unyet explored the quarter of my domain. I had donned according to my wont, as being more suitable to the roughness of the paths than the small clothes, skirted coats, high heels, and cocked hat of Viennese fashion. The dress of the Moravian peasant. I gather that it pleases the people's heart to see their senior grace their national garb on occasions. There was a goodly store of such costumes among the cupboards, full of hereditary habiliments, and furs preserved at Tolendal, after the fashion of the country, with the care that English housewives bestow upon their stores of linen. My peasant suit was, of course, fine of cloth and natty of cut, and the symmetry of the handsome figure I saw in my glass reminded me more of the pastoral disguises that were the courtly fashion of some years back than of our half-savage, ill-smelling boars. Thus it was pleasant as well as comfortable to wear, and at the time even so trifling a sensation of gratified vanity had its price. 
but although thus freed of the encumbrance of a gentleman's attire i could not shake off the watchful tyranny of janos the solemn hyduck who never allowed me to stir abroad at all without his escort nor indeed if my whim took me far afield without the further retinue of two yagers twin brothers and faithful beyond a doubt these carbine on shoulder and hanger on thigh had their orders to follow their lord through thick and thin and keep within sight and sound of whistle in such odd style of state on this day destined to begin for me a new chapter in life i took my course and for a long hour or so walked along the rocky cornice that overhangs the plains the land looked bare and wide and solitary the fields lay in sallow leanness bereft of waving crops but i knew that all my golden grain was stacked safely in the heart of the earth where these folks hoard its fruits for safety from fire the air was so empty of human sounds save the monotonous tramp of my escort behind me that all the murmurs of wind and foliage struck with singular loudness upon my ear overnight there had by my leave been songs and dancing in the courtyard of tollendal and the odd tunes the capricious rhythm of the gypsy musicians came back upon me as i walked in the midst of my thoughts these melodies are fitful and plaintive as the sounds of nature itself they come hurrying and slackening rising and falling with as true a harmony and as unmeasured a measure now in a very passion of haste and now with a dreamy long-drawn sigh i was thinking on this and on the love of the empress for that music my empress that had been when i wore her uniform i and my empress still so long as i retain these noble lands when i came to a field sloping from the crag towards the plain where an aftermath of grass had been left to dry there was a little belt of trees which threw a grateful shade and feeling something weary i flung me down on the scented hay it was on the silesian portion of my land against the horizon the white and brown of some townlet clustering round the ace of club shaped roof of its church tower rose glittering above the blue haze a little beyond the field ran a white road so i reclined looking vaguely into the unknown but inviting distance musing on the extent of those possessions so widespread that i had not as yet been able to ride all their marches ever and anon recognizing vaguely in the voice of the breeze through the foliage an echo of the music that had been haunting my thoughts all day everything conspired to bring me pleasant fancies i began to dream of past scenes and future fortunes smiling at the thought of what my dashing friends would say if they saw le beau in this bucolic attitude wondering if any of my court acquaintances would recognize him in his peasant garb ah me how eternally and lovingly i thought of my proud and brilliant self then i cannot recall how soon this musing became deep sleep but sleep i did and dream a singular vivid dream which was in a manner a continuation of my waking thoughts i seemed to be at a great fete at the imperial palace one of the countless throngs of guests the lights were brilliant blinding but i saw many faces i knew and we all were waiting most eagerly for some wonderful event no one was speaking and the only sounds were the rustling and brushing of the ladies brocades and the jingle of the officers spurs with over and above the wail of the cymbalom all at once i knew as we do in dreams what we were expecting and why this splendid feast had been prepared marie antoinette the fair young dauphine of france the memory of whose grace still hangs about the court had come back to visit her own country the crowd grew closer and closer the crowd about me surged forward to catch a glimpse of her as she passed and i with the rest 
when suddenly my great-uncle stood before me immensely bestarred and beribboned in his field marshal's uniform and with the black patch on his eyes so black that it quite dazzled me no Jen, he was saying to me thou hast luck her imperial and royal highness has chosen the young yonico to dance with as the old one is too old now i in common with the young men about me have grown to cherish since my coming to this land a strange enthusiasm for the most womanly and beautiful of all the empress's daughters and therefore even in my dream my heart began to beat very fast and i scarce knew which way to turn i was much troubled too by the music which went on always louder and quicker above my head somewhere in the air for i knew that no such things as country dances are danced at court and that i myself would make but a poor figure in such yet a peasant dance it undoubtedly was next my uncle was gone and though i could not see her i knew the princess was coming by the swish of her skirt as she walked i heard her voice as clear as a silver bell westil it said and i felt she was looking for me i struggled in vain to answer or turn to her and the voice cried again westil upon which another voice with a quaver in its tones made reply hurry see altesse the sound must have been very close to me for it startled me from my deep sleep into as it were an outer court of dreams and between slumber and consciousness i became aware that i was lying somewhere very hot and comfortable that while some irresistible power kept my eyes closed my ears were not so and i could hear the two voices talking together and in my wandering brain believed them still to belong to the princess marie antoinette and her attendant it is a peasant said the first voice that was the princess of course there was something of scorn in the tone and i became acutely and unpleasantly conscious of my red embroidered shirt but the other made answer he is handsome and then his hands are not those of a peasant and regardez ma chère peasants do not wear such jewelled watches a sudden shadow fell over me and was gone in an instant there was a flicker of laughter and i sat up during my sleep the shade of the sun had shifted and i lay in the full glare and so as i opened my eyes i could see nothing i heard the laughter of my dream again and i knew that the mocking cry of grenadgardeltes that still rang in the air did not belong to my sleep but as i rubbed my eyes and looked out once again i caught first a glimpse of a slender creature bending over me outlined it seemed in fire and shimmering between black and gold my next glance filled me with a woeful disappointment for i declare what with my dream and my odd awakening i expected to find before me a beauty no less bewitching than that of her royal highness herself what i beheld was but a slim slip of a creature who from the tip of her somewhat battered shepherdess hat to the hem of her loosely hanging skirts gave me an impression of being all yellow save for the dark cloud of her hair her skin seemed golden yellow like old ivory her eyes seemed to shoot yellow sparks her gown was yellow as any primrose as she bent to watch me her lip was arched into a smile it had a deep dimple on the left side thus i saw her in a sort of flash and scrambled to my feet still half drunk with drowsiness crying out like a fool she clapped her hands and turned with a crow of laughter to someone behind me and then i became aware that as in the dream there were two i also turned my eyes were in their normal state again but for a moment i thought myself still wandering here was her highness a princess indeed as beautiful as any vision and yet most exquisitely embodied in the flesh a princess in this wilderness 
it seemed a thing impossible and yet my eyes now only corroborated the evidence of my ears i marked almost without knowing the rope of pearls that bound her throat i had become a judge of jewels by being the possessor of so many i marked her garments garments for all their intended simplicity rich and bearing to my not untutored observation the latest stamp of fashion but above all i marked her air of race her countenance young with the first bloom of youth mantled with blushes yet set with a royal dignity i have since that eventful day passed through so many phases of feeling sweet and violent my present sentiments are so fantastically disturbed that i must try to the last of this writing and see matters still as i saw them at that time yes beyond doubt what i noticed most what appealed to me most deeply then was the great air of race blended and softened by womanly candour and grace she looked at me gravely with wide brown eyes and i stumbled into my best courtly bow he wants to know said the damsel of the yellow skirts this time in german the clear clean utterance of which had nothing of the broad austrian sounds i was accustomed to hear he wants to know where is the highness but he seems to have guessed where she stands without the telling truly tis a pity the lord chamberlain is not at his post to make a presentation in due form the lady thus addressed took a step towards her companion with what seemed a protest on her lip but the latter her small face quivering with mischief and eagerness whispered something in her ear and the beautiful brown eyes fixed themselves once again smilingly on me no sir continued the speaker then since you are so indiscreet as to wake at the wrong moment and surprise an incognito the mysteries of which were certainly not meant for such as you that altesse she is son altesse serenissime la princesse marie ottilie marie is her highness's first name and ottilie is her highness's last name and between the two and after those two being as i said an altesse serenissime she has of course a dozen other names but more than this it does not suit her highness that you should know now if you will do me a humble attendant that i am the courtesy to state who you are who in a silesian boar's attire speak french and wear diamond watches to your belt i can proceed with the introduction even in the absence of the lord chamberlain the minx had an easy assurance of manner which could only have been bred at court her mistress listened to her with what seemed a tolerant affection looking round bewildered and awkwardly conscious of my peasant dress i beheld my two chasseurs standing stolidly sentinel on the exact spot where i had last seen them before dropping asleep old Janos, from a nearer distance watched us suspiciously as i thus looked round i became aware of a new feature in the landscape a ponderous coach also attended by two chasseurs in unknown uniforms waiting some hundred paces off down the road to keep myself something in countenance despite my incongruous garb and also perchance for the little meanness that i was not displeased to show this princess that i too kept a state of my own i lifted my hand and beckoned to my retinue which instantly advanced and halted in a rank with rigid precision five paces behind me gracious madam said i in german bowing to her who had dubbed herself the lady-in-waiting with a touch i flattered myself of her own light mockery of tone i shall indeed feel honoured if her serene highness will deign to permit the presentation of so unimportant a person as myself in other words 
of basil yenico of Dane in the county of suffolk in the kingdom of great britain lately a captain in his royal imperial majesty's moravian regiment of chevaux ledgers now master of the castle of tolendal not far distant and lord of its domain here led by janos my three retainers saluted i thought i saw in the princess's eyes that i had created a certain impression but my consequent complacency did not escape the notice of the irrepressible lady-in-waiting she promptly did her best to mar the situation fid donc she cried in french we are at court monsieur and at the court of at the court of her highness we are not such savages as to perform introductions in german then drawing up her slight figure and composing her face into preternatural gravity she took two steps forward and another sideways accompanied by as many bows and resting her hand at arm's length on the china head of her stick with the most ridiculous assumption of finikin importance and with a quavering voice which although i have never known him i recognized instantly as the chamberlain's she announced monsieur basile jean nigaud de la ferrandontaine dans le comte ou long suffolk d'importance au royaume de la grande bretagne maître du castle de fou ici proche et seigneur des alentours <coughs> inwardly cursing the young woman's buffoonery and the incredible facility with which she had so instantly burlesque an undoubtedly impressive recital i had no choice but to make my three bows with what good grace i could muster whereupon the princess still smiling but with a somewhat puzzled air made me a curtsey as for the lady-in-waiting nothing abashed she took an imaginary pinch of most excellent snuff with a pretence of high satisfaction then laughed aloud and long till my ears burned and her own dimple literally rioted and now to complete the ceremony said she as soon as she could speak at all let me introduce the court represented to-day by myself mademoiselle marie ottilie two ottilies as you will perceive but easily explained thus through the highest her serenissime's gracious ducal grandmother being an ottilie and godmother to us both mademoiselle ottilie the rest concerns you not well monsieur de la ferrandondine capitaine et seigneur etc etc charmed with made your acquaintance so far so good but these gentlemen surely also nobles in disguise will you not continue the ceremony she waved a little sunburnt hand toward my immovable bodyguard and the full absurdity of my position struck me with the keenest sense of mortification i looked back at the three biting my lips and miserably uncertain how to conduct myself so as to save some shred of dignity my ancient janos had seen too many strange things during his forty years attendance on my great-uncle to betray the smallest surprise at the present singular situation but out of both their handsome faces set like bronze they had better not have moved a muscle otherwise or janos would have known the reason why the eyes of my twin attendants roamed from me to the ladies and from the ladies to me with the most devouring curiosity i tartly dismissed them all again to a distance and then turning to the mysterious princess i begged to know in my most court-like manner if i might presume to lay my services at her feet for the time of her sojourn in this my land with the same adorable yet dignified bashfulness that i had already noted in her the lovely woman looked hesitatingly at her lady-in-waiting which lively wench not being troubled with timidity as she had already sufficiently demonstrated promptly took upon herself to answer me but this time she so delightfully fell in with my own wishes that i was fain to forgive her 
all that had gone before but certainly she exclaimed her serene highness will condescend to accept the services of monsieur de jean nigaud it is not every day that brings forth such romantic encounters no sir that we are two demoiselles that have by the most extraordinary succession of fortunate accidents escaped from school you wonder by school i mean the insupportable tedium etiquette and dullness of the court of his most gracious and worshipful serenity the father of her highness we came out this noon to make hay and hay we will make or rather we shall sit on the hay and you shall make a throne for the princess and a little tabaret for me and then you may sit you down and entertain us but on the ground and at a respectful distance that none may say we do not observe proper forms and conventions for all that we are holiday-making and you shall explain to us how you an englishman came to be master of chateau de fou and masquerading in peasant's attire is masquerading a condition of tenure after which her serene highness having only one fault that being her angelic softness of heart which is pushed to the degree of absolute weakness she will permit me to narrate to you as much as it's good for you to know how we came to be here at such a distance from our own country and in such curious freedom for her highness quite sees that you are rapidly becoming ill with suppressed curiosity and fears that you may otherwise burst with it on your way home to your great castle or at least that the pressure on the brain may seriously affect its delicate balance if indeed with a peal of her reckless childish laughter you are not already a lunatic and those your keepers this last piece of impudence might have proved even too much for my desire to cultivate an acquaintance so extraordinarily attractive to one of my turn of mind and so alluring by its mysteriousness but that i happened to catch a glance from her highness's eyes even as the speaker finished her tirade which glance deprecating and at the same time full of a kindly and gentle interest set my heart to beat in a curious fashion between pleasure and pain i hastened therefore to obey the younger lady's behests and began to gather together enough of the sweet-smelling hay to form a throne for so noble and fair an occupant whereupon the little creature herself she seemed little by reason of her slenderness and childishness but in truth she was as tall as her tall and beautiful mistress fell to helping me with such right good will flashing upon me as she flitted hither and thither such altogether innocently mocking looks from her yellow hazel eyes that i should have been born with a deeper vanity and a sourer temper to have kept a grudge against her once seated in our fragrant court in the order laid down for us the attendant so soon as she had recovered breath sufficient began to ply me with questions so multiplied so searching and so pointed that she very soon extracted from me every detail she wished to know about myself past and present but although as from a chartered and privileged advocate the sharp cross-questioning came from the mademoiselle marie ottilie it was to the soft dumb inquiry i read in the princess marie ottilie's eyes that were addressed my answers and then those eyes and the listening beauty of that gracious face made it hard for me to realize as later reflection proved that their owner did not utter a single word during the whole time we sat there together end of part one chapter two